Hi guys, it's your host, Sharon, and you're listening to The Will of Vessels. Hi, Will of Vessels family. It's so good to have you guys back with us today. Today, we'll be talking with a great woman of God named Bobby Smoots, and she just so happens to be my grandmother. Literally one of the two favorite people of mine on this earth, and so we're really excited to have her today. I decided to have her on because she's inspired me to be the woman I am like nobody else and to have the faith in Christ and the relationship I have in Christ. So my belief for the impossible began with this woman right here. So I felt she should share her story with the world because she has a really powerful testimony of being healed of cancer. She's a great Baptist woman of God um, who I believe we can all learn from. And so she's overcome a lot. She survived some of the hardest circumstances a person can live through. So this is going to be a really, really great show. So Bobby, I'm getting ready to introduce you to the listeners. Um, and I'm going to ask you just a few questions here throughout the show. And I feel like I've been able to gain so many gems from you and your journey in faith. And now I'd love for the world to be able to be impacted by your faith as well. So let's start with a little bit about your background, you know, tell the people where you're from and a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. I, my name is Bobby Smoots. My middle name is Jean. I was born and raised in the city of St. Louis, 1135 North 13th Street. And we lived right around the corner from all of the supermarkets. We lived in a Jewish ghetto. And at that time, there was mostly, it was all Jewish because everything down there was owned by the Jewish people. So we had a huge market and my mother and my stepfather and my brothers. I had five brothers, and I was the only girl. But however, I enjoyed living there uh, as a child. And I attended elementary school, Jefferson School, and from Jefferson School, Patrick Henry School, both elementary schools. And when I graduated from Patrick Henry School, I was... uh, 12. And then I attended Vashon High School, which was located at 3000 Laclede. Well, we had to walk to school. We didn't have buses to take us. And if we rode the public service bus, you had to pay. Well, we didn't have the money for that. So we walked every day to school. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine. But I enjoyed it. And I had the opportunity while attending Vashon High School to graduate in three and a half years. I loved it. I loved school. I loved every moment of going or attending school. Upon graduation, uh, my mother had a cousin that had promised me, when you graduate from high school, I'm going to send you to college. And I thought this was divine. I was looking so forward to attending college. That came to naught. 
And I cried and cried and cried and cried because I could not attend college. And at that time, things were like very, very poor for the black people in the city of San Luis, all over as a matter of fact. So we had to do the very best we could. There were some people, there were some children, or rather some students, they were able to attend school, but I couldn't attend because my parents were very hardworking, but they didn't earn any money. And we lived in a little shotgun house right on the corner, 13th and Biddle. But however, my mother was not educated, and my stepfather was not educated. But he was a hard worker, and he did the best that he could for us. So my mother would do a little day work. At that time, they did what they called day work. They were going to um, the uh, richer people homes and wash and iron, you know, the, you know, those things that they did back at that time. But anyway, I had the opportunity to um, attend several schools. One was for... Uh, secretarial school. It was called Hubbard's Business College. But that did not agree with me. I just wasn't happy going there. Didn't have to really pay anything. It didn't cost very, very much. Very, I, I can't remember how much it was. But anyway, I didn't like how um, I was being taught. And I found that uh, a lot of the young men that were going there at the time, they had been in the service and the government was paying for them to attend school. So it wasn't really an up-to-date school. So anyway, I dropped that. So a lady friend lived down the street from me. She was attending this school for nursing. But what I didn't know at the time was that the school was not recognized by the Board of Education in, in St. Louis. So I went there, and when I found that out, I just went ahead and, and uh, completed the completion date. So anyway, I learned a little from the books about nursing, but that was not the position that I wanted to be in. I wanted to be in a hospital setting. I wanted to be in a nurse's setting. So however, we went on down and uh, went on and decided the, un the uh, employment office was also offering uh, classes where you could receive a diploma and a certificate. And I was very good at what I was doing. I could type, oh God, let me, how many words a minute it was? No, I can't remember, but I know I was fast. Oh, I was fast. And I had the opportunity to graduate from um, the, the school it was called, uh, Oh, let's see what they call that. It was through the employment office. Well, anyway, I left there, received my diploma, my certificate, typing speed and all of that. So I happened, later on rather, I happened to get a job working down on Washington Avenue in a little uh, company down there. They, of course, it was, everything was just so prejudiced. You couldn't make any money, of course, back in those days. So anyway, I uh, just kept pushing myself different little jobs, and I'd work here and I'd work there, but that was not my desire. 
My desire was to become a surgical nurse. That's what I wanted to be. So they had another school where you could go and be trained for um, LPN. That wasn't quite what I wanted, not realizing at the time had I just made it through there or went there and made it through there, then I could have just began to step up. But when you're young and you don't have any guidance and leadership in those areas, because my mother was not educated, <clears throat> my stepfather was not educated, but my father was an educated man, but he and my mother were divorced and they both had remarried. Now my father uh, had attended college to become a doctor. And he did tell me about it, how he just got tired of going to college, so he ran away from college. Well, I saw him some years later that I can recall. I was a very young girl. Our church was around the corner, and he lived down the street from the church, he and his, and his wife. But that's way, way, way back. However, I stayed in church, been in church all of my life, so... Uh, my mother had told me that she and my father, my biological father, when she was carrying me, they were, by her having already four boys, she was carrying me, and uh, she said they began to pray that the Lord will always keep me and keep me in church, keep me saved, and that I would be a girl child. Well, the Lord granted her her wish. Here I was, a girl child. And right after she had me, two years later, she had another boy. And that was the end of her, uh, her baby days. But anyway, as time went on, you know, you venture into this and you venture into that. And, and uh, things, uh, you out there and you meet a lot of people. I'm very, very, very young. And you meet a lot of people, but I can't even divulge uh, all the things that I learned from out in the street from other people. But anyway, growing up, it was a good childhood uh, for what we had because we didn't really have anything, but we didn't know that we didn't have anything because my mother was a great provider. And uh, Christmas time and Thanksgiving, oh, those were our great holidays. We didn't... She would wait till <laughs> the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve. She didn't have money to go out and buy, you know, a real full tree. So the day before Christmas, she would go out and, and just before the stores closed, you know, they threw out all the uh, stuff that they weren't selling or didn't sell or they weren't going to get money back on. And she'd dig through and she found an old tree, didn't have many branches on it. Boy, we were so happy she brought that tree home and we set that little tree up and made made uh, popcorn balls, and we, they taught us how to make little ornaments at school. And we put those we put those on the tree. We couldn't buy nothing; didn't have any money, and we were so excited. Had those great big bulbs on it, and we were so excited. But that far further on, going back and forth, I always I always was in church. Always had that desire to be a part. And being in church, I was only in one church all of my life up until this present day about four years ago. 
I am about four years ago, and I changed churches because our church was had gotten out of sorts and things were just going downhill. But I was born and raised in that church, baptized in that church, and uh, my former church until oh gosh, four years ago. But it has, and it was, and it yet was, when I think about it, a joy. So anyway, being in church, you began to learn what, the, what you were taught then, hellfire and brimstone. Well, we were taught what the preacher was taught and what the other elders and the older ladies and of the church, missionaries and so forth and so on. And you learn how to do a lot of things. So it became a part of me. I never could escape from being in church. I tried to get away from it, but God would not allow me to get away from it. You know, I actually wanted to ask you about that. That was actually, you jumped ahead to my next question. (laughs) It's okay. Um, I was going to ask you, actually, before I get to that question, I want you to tell the people, guys, she's, probably the most amazing cook ever that I've ever ever met especially when it comes to like soul food dishes and like she's amazing at that and every Sunday you know she cooks this amazing big Sunday dinner and all the family comes over we have a very small family um very tight-knit and so um every we come over and gather and we eat after church on Sundays and so She's been doing that for, gosh, I don't know how many years. <laughs> um, but tell the people, like, who taught you to cook like this? Because we've been begging her forever and ever to start a restaurant, and she would never do it. But, you know, we we beg. We ask for a cookbook. We try to get her to, you know, we try to sneak up on her and ask her, don't you want to, like, do a cookbook, you know, <laughs> or something? And she's like, oh, no, I don't want to do a cookbook. But uh, yeah, so tell the people a little bit about that. And then also tell them how many years young you are, because even though you cook these amazing, you know, sort of like down south feel of or Midwestern, I guess I should say, but like this Southern comfort style of food, you know, you still manage to keep a slim girlish figure in like some high heels, you know, at least once a week and you're in amazing health. So You know, tell the people a little bit about that. Well, I learned. My mother was a good cook, very good cook. But my mother was the kind of person she liked that that praise when you said, oh, this is so good. So um, coming up, uh, sometimes I would watch her, see what she was doing. But the first thing I learned to cook was cornbread. And I was so proud of myself. I learned how to cook cornbread, and it tasted good, too. So, But I always like to improve, so I will continue to make it and improve and do this and do that, too. And, you know, if it tasted good to me, I was satisfied. But if it didn't taste good, I try and improve that flavor. I would add this, and I would add that. And to this day, so... Um, I would just continue to learn, and I'd watch people... And I'd listen to people. They said, well, I cook this and I cook that. I would never say, well, what'd you put in it? So I would just listen, and I learned a lot that way. So I just kept cooking and cooking. And when I married, of course, uh, 
I uh, continued cooking more and more and more. Because my husband, husband at the time, he was the kind of person, he wasn't much on eating out in restaurants and stuff like that. And I was says, well, hey, I'm tired of cooking all the time. Why can't we go here? Why can't we just get a hamburger? Uh, well, you ought to be glad that I'm, uh, I'm praising your cooking. I said, but you're not doing the cooking, <laughs> you know? So anyway, uh, I continued that on and on and on. And I just would add to and I would uh, make it tasty. If the food was tasty, then I knew someone else would like it. And that's what I've done down through the years now. I'm 84 years old, praise God. And uh, the older I get, well, I guess the better I became, you know. So I learned how to do this. I pull up recipes and and uh, things of that nature. But long as I was satisfied with how it tasted, I was satisfied. So that's how I really uh, started doing all of my cooking, you know. And I loved all of the uh, soul food cooking, as we call it, you know, the food that stick to your bones, you know, all that fancy stuff. That's not my thing. But just regular everyday cooking, hey, I can give you something, make you want to come back. So, but anyway, it's a joy uh, learning to do and learning to cook uh, different things, you know, different dishes rather. And uh, it's all right to be fancy sometimes, but I like that good down-home food. I like the kind that's going to fill you up. And I like to see the smile come on the other folks' faces. I'm sort of like my mother like that. But now, I like for my my, uh, daughter and my granddaughter and others, I like for them to learn how to cook uh, pretty much like me because I know that I'm not going to be here forever. And they learn some of these things. They'll have this knowledge. You know what I'm saying? So I have had so many friends. Uh, how do you how you cook this? What's this? What you put in this? What what is that taste that I'm tasting? But it's all because I like the way it tastes, and I want somebody else to be happy in the way it tastes when they taste it. So this is how I, I this is how it's done. Rather, that's how I do it. Rather, let me put it that way. That's how I do it, and I just sit up and think of uh, different types of foods that I can make. When I was about, oh, I was in my teens, and I used to make salads for Washington University. I had to have 11 salads a day, and the only salads that I could continue to uh, make every day was standard, was a tossed salad, cottage cheese. And there was one more, tall salad cottage. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, I make those. And then they didn't give you a book to teach you or a recipe. You, this had to come out of your head. So I began to make up different types of salad. I had to do this every day, five days a week. Different salads. And I made, I had all kinds of salad. Let me tell you, green pea salad. You ever had green pea salad? I'm not particular about it. But macaroni salad, now all these things came about later on in the years. But when I was much, much, much younger in my uh, teens, and I was making these salads then for Washington University. So anyway, we moved on from there. And as time grew, I I yet remained in church and uh, wanted to always be a servant of God. Now, 
I wasn't always saved. Let's remember that. And I haven't always been saved. You know what? I want you to tell us a little bit about that. Can you tell us your salvation story? Well, when I was 12, my mother, they they used to have a lot of revivals at the different churches. The ministers would come in. They'd run revivals every week and Sundays. So the church that I attended, well, we were yet down on 13th and Dew. So all the kids in the neighborhood, they we all come to Sunday school, and we had special classes in the uh, evening, on Sunday evenings. It was called BYPU. And uh, we all the children in the area, we'd come back to the BYPU because it was strictly for children. Well, you know, a bunch of kids. We enjoyed that. And so when I was 12, my mother was a Christian woman, and so was my biological father, so was my stepfather. My stepfather, matter of fact, was a minister. So um, when I was 12, my mother brought me to the revival. Metropolitan, no, at that time, it was called Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church. They hadn't changed the name yet. So at 12 years old, so they would make all the young kids 12 years and up. We had to go sit on the front front bench, front pew. And they called that what uh, back in the olden days, the Mona's Bench. So we go set up on the Mona's Bench and we wait until the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. So, Oh, Terry? Ted, well, they called it Terry now, but back then they called it the Mona's Bench. So when they Terry, Terry for the Holy Ghost, same difference. So anyway, back then we went ahead. So on I was 12, I remember that well, and one of the, uh, one of my girlfriends, she's gone on now, she was uh, in 11, and we were sitting on the Mona's bench, and I just started crying, and she was crying, all the kids that were sitting on, we was crying, uh, not realizing this was the Spirit of the Lord, so uh, anyway, we were all baptized at Easter, leading up to Easter, and uh when I stepped down in that water, the water was cold, and my mother was standing up there. I can see her now. And when they took me down in the water and brought me up, I could hear her in the background. That's my child, she was shouting. That's my child. That's my child. So anyway, we were baptized, and we stayed on with the church. And then um, the church, uh, a little chaos came up on the church and turmoil, and, you know, Satan is always busy. So the pastor, we all, they moved to a different area. We moved to a different area. But meanwhile, the church we were, the church that we were attending on 14th and Carr Street, uh, they said we had to move because they were going to widen the street. Come to find out, they widened the street and didn't have to move, but the ch- we had already left the area at that time. So uh, it was called Mount Moriah. And later on, they changed the name from Mount Moriah to Metropolitan Missionary Baptist Church. So as I said, I stayed there at that church until four years ago. Uh, And I joined Trinity Missionary Baptist Church, Trinity Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church, where I am now yet a member. Love every moment of it. So God is good, and God has been good to us, and there's just so much. I can't even delve into all the things that he's done. Even from a little child up, the Lord has been with me. Once I was in 
uh, Homer Fellows Hospital before. It's, it's a um, uh, senior citizen's home now, but Homer Fellows Hospital was one of the greatest hospitals in the city of St. Louis. That's where, that's where all the black folks went. And anyway, I had scarlet fever. They didn't know what I had at the time. So they took me, my mother took me to the hospital. I must have been about between 10 and 11, somewhere around there, between 10 and 12. So anyway, uh, they put me in what they call isolation. And nobody could come in. They could stand outside the uh, door, the glass. How old were you when this happened? I was between 10 and 12 years old. Oh, mm-hmm. catch that. Uh-huh, between 10 and 12. So anyway, they put me in isolation. And... Uh, I was laying there one night. I couldn't, I couldn't come out because they locked the doors. And you couldn't come in because the door was locked. So my mother would stand outside at the window, and she would wave to me, and I'd wave back at her. So that night, I was laying in the bed, uh, and uh, I started to cry. I was crying, Mama, I want a drink of water. Mama, I want a drink of water. And they wouldn't give you give you water, food, or nothing. And just like I was asking for it, all of a sudden, my mother appeared to me. And I know that later on, I realized much, much later on, that was the spirit of the Lord. And this figure handed me a cup. It was a white enamel cup. That's what they gave you in the hospital back in those days. The cups were enamel. A white enamel cup. And the cup was full of water, and it was so cold. Oh, and I sat up on the bed, and I drank that water. And I say, and when my mother handed me the cup of water, she faded away. And I laid down, and I went to sleep. So the next morning, the nurse come in there, and they kind of unlocked the door and came in. And they saw this cup sitting by this little table. They say, where did you get that cup? I said, my mama gave it to me. I didn't know <laughs> no better. I said, my mama gave it to me. How did you get out of this room? I didn't go out the room. I said, my mama gave it to me. Well, that's what, that's what I saw, and I told them what I saw. They didn't want to believe me. But when I drank that water the next day, I want you to know that they realized, they found out, rather, I had scarlet fever. And in a couple of days, they had cleared that up. And I came home. I don't remember how long I was in the hospital, but I remember that happened. And I described to my mother the clothes that she was wearing. And she said, no, baby, I, I wasn't at the hospital. I didn't give you no. I said, yes, you did. I asked you for some water, and you handed it to me in that white cup, and I drank that water. Well, then, you know, back then, not knowing that it was the Lord, or angel of the Lord, or however you want to place it. So anyway, that, that was my first experience with the Lord, you know. Now, I didn't know it was the Lord. They didn't say, nobody taught me, or, or told me, rather, well, that was the Lord, because they didn't teach you those things back then. But as you got older, and the doctrines and the ministries, they began to change, and people began to read the Bible more, and began to get an understanding, different ministers was coming. This is how I began to learn a lot more about the Word of God. And then we were taught, bring your Bible to church. 
Bring your Bible to church. I could tell you a lie. You won't know the difference if you don't look into the Word of God. So that's how I began to bring, began to bring the Bible to church. I still didn't have an understanding, but as being taught down through the years, then you begin to understand the understanding. You know, come to you. God give you an understanding. So that was just wonderful for me. And uh, down through the years, I continued on and continued on and continued on. As I said, I used to run around. We were young, you know. We'd run around the streets, uh, the youngsters, trying to go into the bars and stuff. They put us out because <laughs> we were too young. <laughs> they always would stop me, always. How old are you? I said, oh, you know, I'm trying to be smart. I'm old enough to be in here. Well, I was, really. And they, uh-uh, you're not old enough to come in here. But I was of age. But I always had a young look. Mm-hmm. Always had a young look. People just didn't believe my age, you know. Even today, they just don't believe I'm 84 years old. But I know it's the mercy of God. But anyway, down, further on, down through the years, you know, you're going on jobs and you're learning this and you're meeting people. And I've worked many, many jobs. I always did a great job wherever I went. So God has been good to me, and things are well, and I'm blessed. So, but there's, as I say, there are so many things <coughs> that I could delve into and, and talk about. It's, it's been a lot of, lot, lots of years. Now, my mother passed away when I was, um, oh, she was 87, and my biological past, uh, father passed away one night. I was That was, oh, many years ago. I must have been, I was like 19, 20 when he passed away. I was in my, I was in the bed and I was laying there. I had went down to see him. This is my biological father. His name was Albert. And we called him by his nickname, Curly, because he had beautiful curly hair and I used to play in his head. But anyway, I was laying there in the bed I went down to see him the night before, and I said, Curly, I'm coming down tomorrow, and I'm going to bring you some soup. And I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, he appeared before me. I wasn't afraid. He had a navy blue suit. I'll never forget it. And he appeared before me, just rose up before me, and he faded back. And when he faded back, faded out, my phone rang. Curly's dead. Oh, God. But I was able to overcome that because I didn't really live with him. I loved him. I didn't really live with him because he was uh, married to someone else and my mother had remarried. So, but anyway, we went on. You know, I'd go down there and see my stepmother. We were always, she and my mother, they were always on good terms, you know, always on good terms. So we didn't have that kind of friction and chaos in our family. We all stuck together. But anyway, as time moved on and we marched on and and uh, I began to get more and more into the Word of God and learning things and marrying and having children. I have a son who's also a minister and my daughter uh, who abides in uh, Atlanta, Georgia at this time. So I had those two. I wish I had had more. But <clears throat> when you're young... I don't want no more children. I don't want no more. That was my fault, my mistake. But I wish I had her. But anyway, 
I wanted to ask you, um, while we're on the subject of like the different things that have happened throughout your life, um, I wanted to ask you, what are the, the biggest lessons you'd say of, you know, your walk in Christ over the years, um, that you've learned, like what has God taught you the most? I have been taught <clears throat> how you must love everybody, no matter what. You must love everybody. And not only that, I hear people say, I can't forgive them, but you have to. Because the scriptures tell you, if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. And I'm not going to waste all of my good years here on this earth to be turned away in that end time and go and live away from God. I'm not going to do that. So I have to forgive and I have to forget because God said, the scriptures say, it has been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. So I'm trying to be like him. I want to be like him. I want to walk beside him. I want to walk with him, talk with him, be able to feel his presence. Now, he's not going to be uh, in your presence all the time. But one thing he did promise us. He promised us that every day would not be rosy, but I'll be with you. That, hallelujah. That's good enough for me. He's with me. Every day is not rosy, but he's with me. And that's what counts the most. That's good. Um, I want to transition to now a little bit into I feel like what I feel like is your biggest, I mean, I don't know if I would call it your biggest lesson, but I feel like the biggest thing that you're known for with it, which is faith, you know, being a great woman of faith within your circle, you know, they, they call her, you know, auntie Bobby or our mother, uh, for church mother. And, you know, I hear people, you know, I feel like all the time call throughout the day and night because they want to pull on your faith. And I'll hear her in the other room say, you have to stand on the word yeah. of the Lord. You have to stand on yeah. the word of the Lord and then proceed to give advice. And I know because, you know, there's been many days that I've been on the other side of that phone at home because I'm struggling through something. And I'm like, I got to call Bobby. I need her. Give me some advice. I need her faith. And I call her and then she'll charge me up again. By the time I hang up, I'm, I'm full of faith again. You know what I mean? Like that contagious faith that helps build you up. You know what I mean? And that's what I feel like, you know, people really need to hear about right now in these times with COVID, you know, people's faith is dwindling. People are losing their faith. A lot of people are walking away from the faith. And so if you could give a bit of advice around that, because throughout COVID, I've seen you be steadfast and unmovable mm -hmm. and you have just, nothing can shake your faith. Mm -hmm. Zero fear the entire mm -hmm. time, y'all. Mm -hmm. No fear <laughs> even when I would get a little shaky in my faith she would just be like no we standing on the word of the Lord he is not going to abandon us you know all that and I'll be like you're right what am I doing <laughs> and then I'll get get it together really quick so you know I, I really want the people to hear about your you know your, like your lessons of faith how did you become so strong in that area because most Christians they don't, I, I've seen a lot of leaders 
who didn't even have the faith that I've seen you have. And I, I have always wondered, like, where did that come from? How did you get it? How did you build it? You know, like, just talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, faith, when I think about it, what is that scripture? I don't have my Bible handy with me, but that, that scripture that tells you your faith is like the grain of a mustard seed. And when you believe in something, I mean really believe in something, and you believe that can't nobody take that away from you, you walk in by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We have to be God approves faithfulness. He approves faithfulness. And this is how he wants us to be. Stand faithful on the word and in the word. Because the word of God is true. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. God's word is true. This will take you through when nothing else can, when nothing else will. It has to be the word of God. And if you look through the scriptures and begin to just read in those scriptures, you just get so pumped up from reading those scriptures on faith. And there's a lot of scriptures on faith. You know, Enoch walked by faith. And now he was so carried away, God just let him walk right on up in heaven. He didn't taste of death. And there are just so many, many of the old prophets that walked by faith. And, they, you know, you can't walk by sight because this old vision, this old sight, it'll let you down. The scripture also tells us that man will let you down. Your faith is in God. Man will let you down. So you can't have, have all that trust in, in, in uh, man because man will let you down. So you stand firmly in what you believe. And I believe that God wants us to believe in him because he's the only one that can supply everything that we need. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And not only that, even though we don't see him in person, we know that he's here. If you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again on the third day, he said, you shall be saved. Do you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. The one thing is for certain. Every word, every every I that's dotted, every T that they call, has called it tittle, we walk by faith and not by sight. But you, you have to believe. You have to get that thing in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. Nothing and nobody going to shake this from me. Nothing and nobody. I don't care what come or what go. And I've gone through a lot of things. As a young person, as older person, I've gone through a lot of things. But you know what? You're not going to shake my faith when it comes to Jesus Christ. Because number one, he's real. He's, he is real. He's not a toy to be played with. He's real. And if we tell the Lord, Lord, I love you and I trust you, let me ask you something. Do you trust God or do you have your trust in God? Think about that for a moment. He is everything that we need. He told us in this word. He said, if you ask me, I'll give you whatever you ask for. Just read that. That's in Matthew. I'll give you everything that you ask for. But you got to walk right before him. 
treat people right, talk to people right, help people. That's where your blessings come in. When you reach out, help people, and don't look for it back in return. Now, you know, we're going to be human, and things are going to happen. We're going to say things that are not right. We're going to do things that are not right. But you know what? We have an adversary that we can go to. Lord, forgive me. Teach me thy statutes. Teach me thy ways. Strengthen me. Strengthen my mind. Open my heart and give me that understanding. See, God knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows every strand of hair that's on your head. So we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Hold on to God's unchanged. God doesn't change. We change. <laughs> God does not change. And no matter what it may be, no matter how it is, remember that he's a loving God. He puts everything in his purpose, in his place. He knows when we were conceived in our mother's womb, how, who are we going to be, what we're going to be, how we're going to be. He knows that already because he's an all-hearing, all-knowing, and all-seeing God. But if we take these things and really realize who Jesus is, oh, we could just be so strong in him. No matter what come and what go, what ill wind may blow, we can always say God is in charge. He's in charge. And he'll take care of the problem. Believe that. Believe that and believe the word. But you got to read the word. You got to take heed to the word. You can't just say, well, God will do this. How do you know he will? If you've never experienced with him, how do you know he will? If you never come to him and ask him, God, show me the way. Which direction I'm supposed to direct my path. That scripture say, direct my path every day. We take things for granted. Well, we can't take things for granted because the, uh, uh, we don't never know when things are going to change. No, we don't know. But this I do know. If it's changing and he's changing it, you don't have nothing to worry about. But don't allow that, that little imp, you know, that little guy they call Satan the devil. Man, he'll try to get in there and do everything he can. But if you stand firm on that word, I mean the word of God, stand on it, lay on it, sleep on it, take those pages and eat it. Because the Lord is real. He's real in our souls. Oh, I could just talk about him forever and ever and ever. Because he is the almighty God. Said he would give you whatever you ask for. That's scripture. He said, I'll ask me. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. That's word. And I stand on that today. Stand on that word today. Because he is the almighty God. He's done so many things for me. So we're going to do a little bit here and tell you about uh, uh, another thing that happened, but when we get to that, we'll tell you about the sickness, okay? Well, we, a we, we actually, yeah, we're there. Oh, okay. um, um, I was going to say, since we were on the topic of mm -hmm. faith, we can go ahead and share, you know, with the audience, your greatest story okay. of faith, yes, you yes, know, yes. being healed of cancer. Yeah, 
Could, could you tell? We want the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, like tell us what happened, mm-hmm. how it happened, how many days they told you you mm-hmm. had everything. Mm-hmm. Hit us with the story. All right. Well, when I was 32 years old, I went to the doctor and I wasn't really feeling well. Little things in my body was, didn't know what was wrong. So I went to the doctor and they did a little testing. So when the test came back, it was positive. And my doctor, he said, Bobby, you have cancer. I said, what? He said, well, you're going to have to go into the hospital. We're going to have to operate on you. Well, Lord, I didn't want my mama to know. What kind of cancer was it? Cervical cancer, they called it. They said it was cervical cancer. I was taking um, birth control pills, and uh, just things just went haywire, taking those birth control pills. So anyway, that was in November when I went. I'll never forget it was the month because it was right after Thanksgiving they put me in the hospital, a uh, Jewish hospital, matter of fact, right up there on King's Highway. So went into the hospital, and uh, my aunt, my mother's sister, was living. My mother, she just couldn't stand to see me sick. So she was at the hospital. My aunt was the one that was in the room. With my mother just couldn't. She just couldn't handle seeing me sick. And she was a praying woman, though. She was praying for me, just praying for me that God will spare me because I was really, really sick. So anyway, they, t- um, they came in just before they came in to take me to, to uh, the OR to surgery. I called home and my son, he answered the phone. And I was so full of tears and I could hear it in his voice. He was going to say, I said, son, I don't know if I'll ever see you again, but I want you to promise me that you'll take care of your sister. Always look after your sister because they were seven years apart. So anyway, I went on to surgery. My husband was there. I went on to surgery, came out to surgery. So were they removing like a tumor or something? Uh, uh, the cancer was in the, in the cervix. So they had to, which means I wouldn't have no more children. So they had to remove that. So anyway, uh, that's where the cancer was, cervical cancer. So anyway, they had to cut me from the outside, just a little small uh, cut from the outside. But it went all the way through. So anyway, um, uh, I was so sick and different ones came by the hospital. I was trying to remember my sister-in-law. She's gone on now, too. But she came over to see me and that Sunday. Darwin come up, my husband come. And uh, my my mama, she wouldn't come in to, to the room. She didn't want to, she couldn't stand to see me sick like that. So she'd wait out in the hall in the waiting room and she was praying. So my aunt, she was a much stronger person. That was her sister, my, my aunt. We call her Aunt Sudi. So Aunt Sudi came in, she would come in. So anyway, this particular night, my pastor and his wife and the youngest son 
one of the youngest, uh, yeah, the, the one of the youngest sons, they came to the hospital to see me. So anyway, he was prayed for me, and uh, he said, uh, you will never have any more pain. And I thought it meant I was going to die. So I didn't say anything, and he t- took my hand, and uh, my pastor's wife, they, they were standing by my bed. So visit, visiting hours were up, <clears throat> and then they uh, left. So as I was laying there, and they turned the lights out, and I began to think about something my mother had told me when she was a young girl. She was oh, 13 or 14, somewhere around there, because she was born in 1899. But anyway, she died in 1987. But anyway, um, my mother told me how she had malaria fever. And at that time, they didn't have no medicine. It was, you know, in the country, way down there in the south, being black and didn't have nothing. So anyway, um, she said she asked the Lord to show her if he was going to save her or heal her, to show her a white church with the preacher dressed in a white suit. And she said the Lord showed her the white church and the preacher dressed in a white suit. And she was sick for, I guess, maybe three, four months. She didn't know her name. She didn't know where she was and all that kind of stuff. She was a young woman, real, real young in her, I think, uh, late teens, because she got married when she was 17. Had a first child. She was 18. That was way, way back in the country. So anyway, I, I was thinking about that. And I was laying on my back. And I said, Lord, <clears throat> they had an IV running in my arm. And I said, Lord, if you are going to heal me, I want you to show me. And the moment I said, show me, the fluid in the bottle begin to spring up, not down, up out of the bottle like a like a spring, like a, a geyser. It began to spring up and it stalled me. It ran all down on me, all over the bed, uh, down on the floor, and it was a, I had a roommate. She was white. This woman slept through the whole ordeal. She never woke up. God just had put her to sleep. But anyway, as soon as the bottle I mean, the, the fluid began to come up out of the bottle. I was so startled, I reached over to ring for the nurse because they knew I was real sick. And I was right across the hall from the nurse's station. All they do was step out of there behind their desk and about three steps and they would be in my room. And before the nurse could get in the room, the bottle cut off. I mean, it was empty. Empty! Meanwhile, just before this happened, when I was talking to the Lord, there was a figure standing at the foot of my bed. I saw it just like night and day. Now, I was sick, true enough, but I saw this. And this figure had long, wavy black hair. It was standing at the foot of my bed because they had turned the lights out. And it was standing at the foot of my bed and the head was like back against the wall. 
and I could see the profile. And then I saw this figure had on a striped robe. And I was in room 371. And then it began to come to me later on about the 371. And that's when I rang, that's when I rang for just then, that's when I asked the Lord, Lord, if you're going to, I just knew there was the Lord standing there. And I said, Lord, if you're going to heal me, I want you to show me. And I'm telling you, when I said show me, that's when that fluid began to run out the ball. So anyway, they, I rang for the nurse. They ran across the hall, and I just, I pulled the covers down, and they said, what happened? What happened? I couldn't, I couldn't tell them because they wouldn't believe me because I was so sick. I had high fever. And I said, if I try to tell them what happened, they're going to think I'm crazy. So I didn't say nothing. I just kind of smiled. And they, uh, the lady didn't ever wake up, so she didn't ever know what happened. So anyway, my doctor came in the next morning, my, my real doctor. Eugene Taylor, he's dead and I've been dead for years. He came in the next morning with the biggest smile on his face. Oh, that man was smiling from ear to ear. But anyway, when when the fluid ran out, before I before I could uh the incision open up and all of that that uh infected area it just emptied out. It was so warm, it was running down, it was running down my stomach, I could feel it. And anyway, um, he came in there the next morning. He said, oh, Bobby, I'm, I'm just so happy. I couldn't even tell him what had happened. I said, this man will not believe me. Nobody will believe me. So anyway, but I knew it was true because I was, I was awake. I was awake. And he came in. I had been in there since uh, after the day after, I think it was the day after Thanksgiving, I went in, and this was oh a week before Christmas. And he said, "You know you can go home." And they say, uh, "He say, you know your name is on record in Washington D.C." I said, "I don't care about Washington D.C. as long as my name is on record on high." in heaven. That's where I want my name to be. So anyway, uh, I came. Why was your name on, on record? And then also, how many days did that, like how long did they give you to live? I wanted you to tell them about that too. Oh, well, they wasn't sure. My doctor, when he came in, he came in, uh, he said, Bobby, this was just before my pastor came at night. He said, I've done all that I can do. I don't know nothing else to do but take you back to surgery tomorrow. See, I, they, it had set up an infection, and uh, I and I was I was so weak I was like a dish rag. I was just I couldn't sit up, I couldn't walk by myself. My I, my head would just bob from side to side, and I was like a rag doll. I would just I, they set me up in bed and I toppled over. Then you know like a baby when it came ain't able to sit up yet, and I would just topple over, but. They didn't tell me. He didn't say how long, but he just. Mom always told me that it was um, that they gave. They said you wouldn't live past Christmas. That's what she'd always tell me. Well, they might have told. They might have told uh, told them that, 
But it was Christmas Day when I came home. Mm-hmm. When I came home, it was Christmas Day. So anyway, uh, what record? Me, what record were you? Um, the record. Uh, the they when you have cancer, they send you. They send a record of your cancer to Washington D.C. They have whatever that record department is up there. And they send a record of uh, your, car- your, you know, your cancer there, and how uh, the kind it was, and what, you know, I never had chemotherapy, and I never had radiation, not ever. God healed me right then and there. And I came home, and there was no pain. My pastor prophesied; he said you will never have any more pain. But at that time, excuse me, I thought he meant that I was going to die. I have never, to this day, I'm 84 years old, I never had any pain. To this day, I've never had any pain. And I got, I have the scar to prove it. It healed up just beautifully, just beautifully. So, but anyway, that's one of the things, that is the thing that made my faith so strong in the Lord. Because he performed a miracle, folks. Just when my church believed, my church members believed it because they're Christian, they in Christ. But other people, I try to tell it to. They just, they just, they, they couldn't quite. We, I try to tell it to. Uh, oh, it was a teacher. I had, no, I wasn't a teacher. So I can't remember. That was way, way back. I told my teacher about when I was about the water that time when my mama gave me. She didn't believe me. <laughs> I didn't. They didn't believe me. None, nobody. My mama didn't believe me. But anyway, your mom didn't believe. Mm-mm, she didn't believe me. She didn't believe that I handed her the water. See, she was thinking about it in the uh, in the physical frame, but this happened in the spiritual frame. But she didn't believe me. I explained. I showed. I told her every stitch of clothing that she wore. I told her about the hat she had on, the kind of coat she had on, and how she came to me with that cup in her hand and was watering that cup. I drank that water. I drank that. And a couple of days later, I came home from the hospital. They found out I had scarlet fever. Did the doctors, what did the doctors say after you were healed of cancer? Did they believe it? I mean, they didn't have a choice, but did they, what did they think? Well, they didn't know what to think. All they knew is that I never had to have radiation, and I never had to have uh, uh, chemotherapy. That's why he said my record is in uh, in Washington, D.C. So he said, you know your record is up enough. Uh, what they call it? They got it's a record place up there where they send out all your records, especially when people have cancer and, and disease and stuff. And um, since I never had to have uh, no kind of therapy, never had to have nothing, God healed everything right then and there, right then. And, there. and that's what really the main cause that I began to stand firmly. I was 32 years old on the Word of God. Nothing could shake me because I know what had happened to me. I know exactly what had happened to me. And the folk, of course, folks that were not saved, they didn't understand. So, but the people that were saved, they were just, oh, they were just so, they just get, they'd be crying and, and praising God. But I'm telling you, oh, this is true. All of this happened to me. I'm looking at it just like I'm looking at you. I saw that figure standing at the foot of my bed. And he was back up in he was back up in the shadows. And he was standing at the foot of the bed. 
and had on a striped robe, and, and you know they, they got that scripture in the Bible said, "But by your stripes you're healed." Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And uh, uh, I saw that stripe; it was beige and had stripes running across it. And he had a long black wavy hair. I couldn't see his face, but I saw that. I saw his hair, long black wavy, and I couldn't see the face because it was back in the shadow. Because you know, if you see the face of God, you don't you don't live; you you'll die. That scripture that I just read that Sunday in our Sunday school lesson this past Sunday. But anyway, those that that is the main thing that caused me to walk upright before him when I was thirty two. And I began to change my life. The way I thought, the thing, way I was thinking, things that I was doing that I knew was not pleasing in his sight. And I said, Lord help me, forgive me. And God just began to show me different things, you know. Oh, I just, it's just marvelous. It's just marvelous. Because I hope it doesn't take something like this for somebody else just to believe that God is real. Because he is real. Oh, he's real. And uh, let your faith grow each day. Because he's merciful, he's trustworthy, and he'll do just what he said he'll do. I want to ask you, what stage of cancer did do you remember? Yes, I was in the fourth stage. Wow. Fourth stage. Headed on out of here. But God said, no. It's not your time. Hallelujah. Hey, <laughs> bless you. Hey, bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Glory to God. I think that's, um, I think that's one of the reasons also that, that, the Lord gives you so much favor because every single day, um, I mean, as long as I can remember, my grandmother has given thanks to the Lord. Yes, yes. And I mean, you know how they say keep praise continuously in your mouth. Mm -hmm. She never stops praising oh, from morning yeah. to yeah. night. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. Th she never, ever, ever stops. And I think that I always think about how that must, I think that is, there's something in that. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. You know, that read. I, want, I, I invite you to read the 150th song. Oh, and, and it tells you how to praise God. Woo! Lord, read it. My God, read it. The 150th song. Oh, that is something. That is something. Yeah, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You know, um, I also wanted to talk about another, you know, serious topic. Um, this time I want to talk a little bit about a different type of hardship because my uh, my grandmother was married to my grandfather. His name was Darwin Smoot. She's mentioned him um a bit earlier and so he was there he was there during the the bout of cancer um how how was that relationship you know during that time and did it make this did it make that journey easier or harder what was happening in your personal life you know as this was going on like well and what was that marriage like at this time, when I was in the hospital, I want you to know my husband was seeing another woman. So I didn't realize that at the time until I came out of the hospital. But he was there for the uh, surgery, he and my aunt and uh, 
my mother. They were there. But at that time, he was seeing another woman. And uh, he still, he was, he, he wasn't truly saved. Let me tell you that. He wasn't truly saved. So partially, part of that is my fault because the scriptures tell you uh, don't marry outside of your face like that. I mean, when I say that, I mean don't don't be unyoked. Yeah, yeah. Don't be unequally yoked. Marry if you're gonna marry somebody. Ask God to send them to you, and uh, be sure that they are Christian, that they love the God, the, uh, that they love God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. Because when you're in love with the Lord, and He's in love with you. You treat your mate right. But at that time, he wasn't right. His heart wasn't right, and he was definitely doing wrong things. So he died like uh, 10 years ago, April the 12th, 2010. 2010, because I retired in 2011, 2010. But anyway, I had to forgive him for that. And uh, he never was fully truthful about it. He never told the full truth about it. Uh, his mother had told me some things, and then he finally decided, because his health, he was he was in kind of bad health, and his health was declining, but he never told the full truth, and the Lord just fixed it so I would know the full truth. So it's all right, because I have to answer to God, not to man, all right? So other than that, my marriage started off rocky, wrong. He started off with, I want a, I, I want a baby, not I love you, let's get married, and let's have some children. I want a baby. I'm young. I'm like, well, wait a minute now. I was like 27, 26, 26. Donna was born. I was 27. And uh, he just never, he just, he never did. Just uh, you know, the way a, a the way a man would be, the way when he wants to marry you and he loves you, he just he'll, he later on he would always say, "I love you," and, but you just you've missed out on all this and you don't get that feeling in your heart that it's true. You just don't get that full feeling. But God had me to stay with him because I had I did leave him twice, but the Lord had me to stay with him. Because I asked God to show me. And when he showed me, I like to, I just, oh, God, do I have to stay here? I really didn't want to stay. Because at one time in my, in my life, I hated him with a passion. I hated him with a passion. I had to pray. I mean, pray, not play, but pray and ask God to restore in me that which I had at first. I had to do that. And then I had to forgive him. You think it's easy? No, it's not. But I know what the Word of God has taught me. And I had to forgive him for the way he had treated me. But as time moved on, it got better, you know. It got better. So I don't linger on that. I don't linger on all, anything that's uh, uh, not worth anything. That's a waste of time. A waste of time. Because God always has some good things for and um, I, I did care about him, but when he, went, especially when he got, you know, sick, and he got, he had reached a point where there were things he couldn't do, you know, 
But I was right there, and the Lord kept me right there. I had to be right there with him. That's why I wanted to be there with him. I didn't want him to have to go through that by himself. But anyway, I didn't hold nothing against him. And even to this day, I think about some of those things, and I always say, Lord, remove that those thoughts from my mind because it's not worth it. Because the day will come when we all going to have to stand before the judgment bar. And we've got to answer the words that we're going to answer for every deed that we've done in our bodies. Lord God, forgive me for mine. <laughs> but anyway, that's it. And I, I pray that you will receive something from this. And I pray that the Lord will open up your understanding. And give you the desires, the fondest desires of your heart. But remember this. Stand on the word of God. Every day. God bless you. Well, thank you so much for, you know, coming here today and talking and uh talking with us and telling us your story there is one more thing I did want to ask you though if that's okay before before we head out because uh in the middle of you know we're we're here in the midst of COVID right and um there there's a lot of people that are suffering loss you know that have lost a lot of loved ones right now including you know people we know um we are blessed that it has not you know, we haven't suffered um, any loss in our immediate family from COVID, but we've seen it happen around us to other people, you know, and it has been very sad, you know, and I'm uh, a lot of people like I talked about earlier have just had a hard time moving past um, and, and, and keeping their faith. A lot of people have walked away from the faith. And so I wanted, you know, to ask you because, you know, if you could offer any advice to people in the middle of this because you know four years ago you suffered we suffered the hardest loss we've ever had and you lost your granddaughter uh Jakara at the pinnacle of her life and her career you know a school principal and preparing to get her doctorate walk to get her doctorate degree and her life was taken tragically and so you know I want you to tell the people how you got through that and what you would tell them to overcome the grief you know, how, how do they keep their faith through such a hard time like now? Well, you know, you have to continue. No matter what comes or what goes, you must continue to stand on the word of God. That's the only thing that's going to take us through. It's going to take us to fire, flood, death, all of this. But one thing is for certain. We all gonna have to go through that part of the death in order to reign with the Lord. Now we wanna reign with him, not away from him. And we praise God for his goodness and his mercy. Oh, there's so much, but I thank God that being able to stand on his word, let those thoughts penetrate and permeate my mind that this has kept me knowing when there's sickness all around, even in the air, death all around, but God has shown favor by keeping us 
keeping us, strengthening us, and just believing on his word. And I just, I'm just, a friend of mine used to say this all the time. I am a super fool for the Lord because no matter what come, no matter what go, he's going to be with us. He is that way out of no way. We can depend on him at all times, whether it's in sickness, in health, in death, or whatever it is. He has promised his word, say, every day will not be rosy, but I'll be with you. That's good enough for me. And through all this pandemic and all this COVID and people are just wasting away. If you don't have no faith in God, you're going to waste away. If you're not saved, come to Jesus. We, our pastor teaches that every Sunday. Come to Jesus. It's getting dark out there. Come to Jesus. He's the only one that will be able to keep you. God has kept us and he's yet keeping us through sickness and all of this stuff that's going on. If the word says if he if you keep your mind, hallelujah, stand on him, he'll keep you in perfect peace. Stand on that. Don't take down for nobody. I don't care what nobody say. If you know that you're right and standing on the word of God, stand on it. Stand on it. Sleep on it. Eat it. Digest it. Because one thing is for certain, you'll never make God out of a lie. You will never make him out of a lie. His word is not going to go out and come back void. You can believe that. So keep the faith. If you don't have any faith, ask God to give you faith. He will give it to you. But most of all, if you're not saved, Seek out a church that is teaching the unadulterated word of God. Something that will keep you. I don't mean this jackleg stuff. Uh, you give this money and God will do this. God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Whether you got a dime to give him or not. But if you do have uh, something and you want to share with the Lord, then you give him 10% of it. You can't beat God given no matter how you try. I don't care what's going on. I'm making my business to pay my tithes in church to give an offering. Because God said he would take care of you. But you got to believe it. And I believe that with all my heart. So if you're suffering through death, close, I mean, loved ones that have gone on because of this disease. Oh, there are so many other plagues in the word, how God brought the people through. I, I don't have my Bible in front of me where I could name them for you. But think about those plagues he brought on Egypt when he was, Moses was bringing the Israelites up out of Egypt and how Pharaoh was treating the people. And the people were crying out to the Lord. And God chose Moses. Moses tried to not go at first because he tried to pretend like, well, he, he, he was slow of speech. But God said he would speak for him. So if he opened, God said, he, if you open your mouth, he'll speak through you. 
And he will, let me tell you, he will. So regardless of what, and then we have a group of our church. If you're interested, it's the Trinity. We just formed this group, Trinity Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church, St. Louis, Missouri. We will be more than happy to introduce you to the two organizations that they, they're called Grief Committees. And they will take you through grief. They meet. Uh, I believe it is on Saturdays. I'm not able to attend the meetings because I do a little work on Saturdays, outside work. But if you're interested and you would like to uh, someone to know, to talk with you and give you some information concerning these grief meetings, please don't uh, don't hesitate. Call, let us know, and I'll get this to them, and they will be more than happy to. Uh, to help you in these situations. We have a minister, Burris. She's a female. And then we have another deacon of our church. Uh, He's a wonderful guy. He's in real estate. And he's a wonderful, wonderful deacon. And they have formed these committees. And they're reaching out to people to help you in your grief and in your sorrow. God bless you. Okay, thank you. Bobby, I love you so much. Oh, my God, you're amazing. And your story is always so good. More than um, you humanly can know. It's just I love you. Um, And I'm thankful for you. And I choose to honor you and give you your roses while you're here with us. And that's why I said I have to have to let the world hear hear your story. So I pray longevity over you that your latter years will be better than your former long live Bobby Jean Smoots. <laughs> Thank you, darling. I love you too. I love you. Okay. Thank you guys for joining us today. Until next time, I'll see you later. Hope to hear from some of you. <laughs> of course. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Thank you guys for tuning in with us today. What a great, great show. I'm your host, Sharon, and this is The Will of Vessels. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe to The Will of Vessels podcast and please spread the word about us. We only ask that if you really like us, share the episodes. Share the episode you loved. Just share it. That's what we want. And also, you can always find us on at Will of Vessels on Instagram. Please follow us also. And then um, the Will of Vessels on Facebook and check us out and follow us for updates on new series and episodes. I hope you come back to visit us soon. For now, I won't say bye, but I'll say see you later. Thank you. <laughs>